So let's pray together. So Jesus, we uh, say it every week, say it often every week at least, uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit. And we believe that his presence, uh, even this moment among us, is, is uh, necessary and vital for us to have any kind of understanding of what the Bible says. So it's not simply an academic exercise. Our intelligence um, doesn't really drive drive the issue here. What drives the issue is your spirit's activity in our hearts. So we pray that your Holy Spirit, would you be active in our hearts? Would you open up the ears of our hearts, open up the eyes of our hearts so we can see and hear what you want us to see and hear so we can become the kind of people that you say we can become, God, full of the life and power that comes from you alone. We want to be those kind of people. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, category for today is uh, things people say. It's kind of a fill-in-the-blank thing, all right? All right. So first one is this. My boyfriend is really hot. All right, people say that. I meant my boyfriend's really hot. For those of you who are older, that's kind of the common term now. Somebody's hot, all right. Uh, next one. I just want my kids to be happy, all right. I'm playing with you here because I'm suggesting maybe some different words to use there. Of course we won't use, but I'm going to ask why we don't use them. Why, why don't we say this? My boyfriend's really holy. I just want my kids to be holy. We don't say that. I mean, nobody says, my boyfriend, he's really holy. You know, I, I'm not going to say, oh, my wife, she's really holy. I mean, but, but I'm, I'm, we're playing with that word today, the word holy, because we, we say things that indicate value. My boyfriend's hot. I want my kids to be happy. But I'm going to challenge you today about, I'm not saying you should change your vocabulary, but maybe change your thinking about what you value for yourself, for your kids, for your friends, or whatever, and because this is what Jesus values for us, right? The word for the day is holy, all right? It's a word that we often have, uh, I don't know, all kinds of reactions to. Um, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is in, in the book of Isaiah. It's the prophet Isaiah. And one of the things that he says, I'll just I'll read it, because first of all, we think about God being holy and what that means and kind of the... Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark opening up the, the Ark of the Covenant and the, all the power and stuff. But this is Isaiah chapter 6. I'm just going to give this sense of the holiness of God. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. He was seated in a lofty throne. So Isaiah sees this. The train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So when, God, when the Bible talks about God being holy, it's often repeated, holy, holy, holy. It's a primary part of who God is. But then Isaiah says, uh, then I said, it's all over. I'm done. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the king. So the reaction to holiness, because even in the Old Testament, when, remember when uh, Moses had the burning bush, God said, take your shoes off your unholy ground. And any time in the Old Testament... When God's described as being holy, there's a sense of stop. Something's really, really different here. And there's, there's, there's a sense of fear about holiness. Like God's holy. God's so different. So we understand that. We understand that with, you know, you're standing on holy ground and things like that. But I want to talk today about what does it mean for us to be holy? Because one of the things Jesus prayed for you know, we, we, talked, we have these up every week. 
two most important things we want to learn how to do is pray like Jesus and honor the Holy Spirit. So I'm doing a series right now called Pray Like Jesus. Go to the next slide. It's all based on Jesus' prayer for us in John 17. Because it's how he prayed for us. And my assertion is if he prayed for us that way and he still prays for us that way, wouldn't that be wise to pray for others that way? Like I pray for my wife and my kids and my friends and my neighbors that way, all right? So if we learn to pray like Jesus, we, you know, we think about the Lord's Prayer, which is, you know, our Father who art in heaven. But this is a whole other prayer that Jesus prayed. Um, and the context is this. I'll, I think, so this is the night when he was going to be betrayed, probably a few hours from then. They had just had their Passover dinner. I'm doing this because they were all around a table, all the disciples, including Judas at this point. Um, they didn't know what was coming up. He did. Jesus knew what was going to be happening. But this is the, you know, he washes their feet in chapter 13 of John. He talks about things. He actually tells them, somebody's going to betray me. Judas gets up and leaves. So there's 11 now with Jesus, which makes 12. Jesus talks about what's going to happen to him. I'm going to be, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to, be, I'm going to die. And Peter says, no way. Jesus says to Peter, well, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. So he talks about what's ha- going to happen. And so Jesus knows that failure, fear, confusion, and sadness were coming right around the corner for these 11 guys. Peter was, they were going to fail, run away. There was going to be a lot of fear. There was going to be confusion of what's going on. And they were going to be, Jesus even says, you're going to be really sad. But then your sadness is going to turn to joy. So he knew what was the reality that's coming up for them. Not unlike us. I mean, we still have, we have times of failure, fear, confusion, and sadness, but Jesus knew that was coming. He knows that's coming in our lives. He knows we experience that in our lives. And then there's a point in the end of the meal where it says, Jesus looked up, take, your, take this right here. I've got one of these on your chair. Flip it over. So John 17 is his entire prayer. So this is the context. He's still sitting at the table. He wasn't sitting there, so they kind of leaned on the floor. They didn't have chairs. They just kind of... And it says, after saying all these things, so he had said all these things about what was going to come on, that Judas was going to betray him, Peter was going to deny him, they were all going to be afraid and sad and confused. After saying these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. So he basically, typically in that culture, they would raise their hand, he looked up and prayed, so they didn't necessarily bow their heads and get on their knees, he just, Father, the time's come. And so the disciples are all hearing this, and they're right there. And then this whole chapter 17, he prays for them. So they're sitting at the table, and he's praying for them. But I want to start. Last week we did, if you have this, last week we talked about the prayer, keep them safe from the evil one. That's the one we prayed last week. And again, these are things I'm encouraging you, and I'll say it again, this is waterproof paper, kind of tear-proof, and it's meant for you to stick it somewhere where you see it, because these four phrases are Great short line prayers to pray for other people. Pray for your kids. Keep them safe from the evil one. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your friends. Pray for, you know, teach them your word. But last week we did keep them safe from the evil one. I mean, that's like a 10 second prayer. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in sometimes, I mean, I'm prayers, but sometimes we don't know what to pray. So sometimes, I mean, I'm, there's our times where I'll just pray for my kids. God, will we keep them safe from the evil one? We talked about that last week. This week we're going to talk about Jesus' prayer for us, his disciples, but he's praying for us. 
make them holy. So look at, start with me at verse 13 at the bottom of the left-hand side. I'm just going to read along just for a paragraph. So he's been praying, and now he says, Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in the world, so they would be filled with my joy. So yeah, he knew that failure, fear, confusion, and sadness was coming, but he also knew that joy and peace and power are going to be part of their future as well. Those things always go together, all right? I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Key phrase there. Jesus' prayer for us was not that we become some holy huddle and just hold on till Jesus comes back and forget about the world. He knew we are going to be smack dab in the middle of people and situations and cultures that were anything but honoring to God. All right? I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. That was one of the phrases we used last week. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. And the next phrase, just the first phrase of 17 we're going to look at today, make them holy by your truth. So Jesus is about to die. He knows it. He knows there's going to be all kinds of turmoil and confusion and trauma. And he just prays some really crucial things that apparently must have been important because this is a real key moment. Keep them safe from the evil one. And now he prays for us. Make them holy. Make them holy. So... The problem with the word holy, like I said, nobody ever says, my boyfriend, he's so holy. All right, we, we, we typically think of the phrase holier than thou. So nobody really, if we're honest, we don't always like the word holy attributed to us. We, we do, but we don't, because typically, here's what we typically think, or our culture typically thinks about the word holy. We typically think it means pious, boring, or stiff. Is Jesus praying for us to be that way? No. We think, you know, holy means dutiful, passive, stuffy, nice, careful. A, lot, a large part of our culture, maybe we believe this too, that to be holy means we're anti-sex, anti-creative, anti-joy, or anti-laughter. That's not what Jesus is praying for. To be holy is to be stoic, celibate, dull, and cold. Why would Jesus pray for that when he's about to die? That's not what holiness means. But we tend to think, oh, holier than thou, or if you're really holy, you don't drink or smoke, or you don't do this. All the things you don't do is what... But we, we, we need to kind of retool our understanding of holy. Because if we retool our understanding of holy, I think we'd be excited to pray for your spouse, your kids, yourself, and others. Jesus, Jesus make them holy. All right? So the word holy is the same word we get the word saint from, all right? Saint, holy, all comes from the same Greek word, but it means set apart to be different. So if I were to say, okay, get a group over here, they are holy. They're different than the rest of us. They're set apart, but what are they set apart for? I mean, obviously, we understand with God being holy, it's just because he's so different than any other being in the universe. But now Jesus says, now I want us. He wants us to be holy. And so you, when you look at scripture about holiness, um, there's three words I want to encourage you to kind of insert. All right, go to the next slide here. 
Always when holiness is talked about with God or always when it's talked about with us in the Bible, I'll just give you, there's other ways you can describe it, but holiness is to be distinct, to be pure, and to be powerful. All right? So when somebody, when God is holy, he is distinct, capital D. He is pure, capital P. He is powerful, capital P. Supernaturally powerful. 100% pure. Absolutely distinct from the rest of any other thing in all of creation. But that's true of us. So Jesus is praying for us to be distinct, pure, and powerful. Let me give some other words that I would use to describe holiness. Just keep this slide up. We're set apart to be alive, awake, and free. We're set apart to be supernaturally threatening. When people are holy in the Bible, they're supernaturally threatening because they're supernaturally empowered. They're complete, they're whole, they're not broken. They're complete and whole. That's holiness is also, it's not the same word, but to be whole. Passionate. We often think that passion is kind of a, something that the, that the world owns, but the holy, holy people are like deeply passionate people. So when Jesus is praying for us to be holy, he's praying for us to be distinct, pure, and powerful, not pious and dull and stuffy and cold and arrogant, holier than thou. That's not at all what Jesus... Why would he pray for us for that? He, doesn't, he wants us to be like he is, distinct, pure, and powerful, because then we carry the message of the power of the Holy Spirit to other people who can then be transformed by the love of God in their lives. So that's what he prays for for us. Um, actually, say those three words with me, distinct, pure, and powerful, right? Ready? Distinct, pure, and powerful, all right? Now, let's say the prayer, skip the word holy, and go straight to distinct, pure, and powerful, all right? Make them distinct, pure, and powerful. So when I pray, my son David, who's now at college, I, we, I haven't told him this over the past couple of years, my prayer for him was that he would be distinct, pure, and powerful. As, as a young man of God, my, when I pray for my wife, I pray that she's distinct, pure, and powerful. When I pray for myself, that's what I want God. Because if Jesus prayed for that for us... Must be a good idea, right? We can pray that way for people. Distinct meaning totally separate from the, the world. Not separate like, oh, we don't, you know, the statement when I was a kid was, we don't smoke, we don't chew, and we don't go the, with girls who do. Like what girls chew anyway. But anyway, but it's like, you know, but, but it was, and I still remember in high school, I've told this story before, but it sticks with me. One of the girls, uh, one of the cheerleaders in our high school was sitting at our lunch table one day and I mentioned, somehow it came up what church we were going to. Oh, you guys go to the church that doesn't let you do anything. Wow, that's the gospel? Follow Jesus and you can't do anything fun. But that's not the distinction we're called to be. We're called to be distinct in a, in a way that gold is distinct from coal. We're called to be distinct in the way that diamonds are distinct from rocks. It's that kind of distinction. We're called to be pure and the, the, clear, the clear teaching of Scripture about holiness has a strong element of sexual purity. Not because God's a killjoy and hates sin. He's not anti-sex. He's not anti-erotic. Sex was God's idea. I tell that to people. From the beginning, sex was God's idea. So he doesn't want us to be killjoys. He just knows that to be pure in a holy way, uh, in a sexual way, will, is the only way to yield the joy and peace and power that he wants in our lives. It's not a dull and pious thing. 
somehow holiness is often, you know, it's this is sexually stiff and repressed kind of thing. But that's not what Jesus wants for us. So, so now, what, uh, so we have distinct, pure, and powerful. I'm going to put four passages up here that talk about holiness in the New Testament. And I'm going to read them, but I'm going to cut and paste distinct, pure, and powerful. All right? Just to give you a sense, all right, of what we're supposed to be. Go to the next one. Okay, this is Ephesians uh, chapter 1. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be distinct, pure, and powerful and without fault in his eyes. So before the creation of the world, if we're a follower of Jesus, he chose us to be, yeah, holy, but distinct and pure and powerful. All right, next one. This one's an interesting one. I kind of, when I was reading this this week, I thought, this is interesting. So this is talking about if, if, you're, if a guy, is a follower of Jesus, is married to a woman who doesn't follow Jesus, or vice versa, if a woman who's married to, who follows Jesus is married to a guy who doesn't, uh, Paul was saying, he didn't say, oh, get divorced. But he said, no, if they're willing to stay together, stay with them. And then he talks about the role that holiness plays in that kind of a relationship, all right? Because it's for the believing wife. So a believing wife married an unbelieving husband. A be- believing wife brings distinction, purity, and power to the marriage. And has influence on the unbelieving husband, all right? And the believing husband, if he's married to a non-believing wife... He brings distinction, purity, and power to the marriage. So it, it kind of makes you see the passage differently. It's like, no, if, if somebody's married to a non-believing spouse, the way you live brings distinction, purity, and power to the relationship. It doesn't, it's not just persevere, gut it out. It's, no, you, you, you bring something to that relationship that's going to have influence on that unbelieving spouse in ways that you don't, they don't even fully understand, right? Next one, there's just two more, all right? God's will is for you to be distinct, pure, and powerful. So stay away from all sexual sin. So there's a clear connection in the New Testament teaching that when Jesus prayed for us to be holy, he also prayed for us to be sexually pure. All right, clear sin. Because in, in this passage, in Second Thess- First Thessalonians, Paul's writing to the Christians in the Greek city of Thessalonica. They were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They didn't have the law about sexual. So it was really clear. That was a real clear teaching to the, to, to the new believers that holiness meant stay away from all sexual sin. But again, it's not a repressive, oppressive, you know, stuff it down kind of thing. It's a distinct, pure, and powerful thing. And the next one, there's a, a, lot, a lot of different ones, but I'm just choosing some. This is Peter writing, who would have been there, sitting around the table when Jesus prayed for them to be holy. This would have been, you know, years later. He's writing to other Christians. But now, you must be distinct, pure, and powerful in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is distinct, pure and powerful. For the scriptures say, you must be distinct, pure and powerful. This is now God talking. Because I am distinct, capital D, pure, capital P, powerful, capital P. So, do I want my kids to be happy in life? Absolutely. Do I want them to be holy 
more than I want them to be happy. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying I don't want my kids to be happy. Because if they're holy, they will have joy that exceeds happiness times 10, right? And I'm not saying we need to change the language. I just want my kids to be holy because usually the group you're in will be like, that's weird. But I'm going to encourage you to pray for your kids, for yourself, for your spouse, for other people you know in that way. Because God's will for us is not to be happy. I God's, God's will for us to have this incredible well of joy and peace and power in our lives, which makes mere happiness seem kind of trivial. Of course he wants, God doesn't want us to be sad. But his will for us is not happiness. His will for us is a distinct, a pure, and a powerful kind of peace and joy and, and power in our lives that makes us so different from the rest of the world. Not because we don't smoke or drink or go with girls that do, but because we have a power inside of us, we're so different from the rest of the world. Not because of what we don't do, but because what we carry inside of us. We carry the, the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's the spirit of peace and joy and love and generosity and forgiveness. And that sets us apart from the world. I mean, I'd love it if somebody said, oh, you go to that church, you guys just have qualities about you that are different from everybody else, and I wish I could be that way. Nobody says that, but I would, shouldn't, wouldn't that be great if somebody said, oh, you go to that church, you guys have so much joy and peace, you're really generous, you're forgiving, and, and you avoid certain things, but I, I don't understand why you do, but I also see who you are, and I think that, that's what I want to be like. So, God says you, he wants it to be that way. It's what, so that's what Jesus is praying for. He's not praying... I mean, so, do I want, I don't like the word hot when I'm talking about my wife, but do I want my wife to be good looking? I think she, of course I think she is, but I'm going to pray for her to be holy. That's even more important. I want me to be holy. I, I'm, I think I'm a hot husband, but I'm just, I want her to be holy, all right? I, I'd rather be holy than hot, if that makes sense. So, I just, I just came up with that. That could be a book. I'd rather be holy than hot. But do you understand what I'm saying? The culture values certain things, hot, happy, financially well-off or whatever. Jesus didn't pray for the disciples. He prayed they'd be holy because he knew that's a state of being that would supersede anything else the world has to offer. And that's one of the things Jesus prayed for when he's sitting around the table with the disciples. God, make them holy. And he also says, just go to the next one because I'll, I'll finish with this. Make them holy by your truth. That's a key phrase because we are set apart. We are distinct, pure, and powerful, not because we live and abide by the cultural norms. But there is a holiness that lives by cultural norms. They just become like the culture. They're different because they just want to live like the culture. We, we're not made holy because we do what our friends say, and we're not made holy because even, even necessarily what all our Christian friends say. We're holy because we do what the truth of God, and Jesus says in the next line, that comes from what the, word, the Bible says. We're made holy by truth. That's the yardstick that measures holiness. So, um, and I, grew up, I grew up in a church where we had this teen, teen talent competition and we had to, in order to compete, 
in these singing groups, we had to have our hair above our ear and it couldn't touch our collar. I mean, John Kensick would be disqualified, right? So, but that was holiness. Hair above your ear, can't touch your collar. I knew somebody that talked about holiness in their church was women weren't allowed to wear stockings because that's what women of the world did. Or just, I mean, think of all the things we've, that we've decided are the dividing lines for holiness. But dividing lines for holiness are the things Jesus taught about forgiveness and sexual purity and generosity. That's, that's how we become holy. We become different because the Holy Spirit inside of us gives us supernatural power to be a whole different kind of person. And that's really important to Jesus because he prayed for us that way. And he's praying right now for each one of you and me to be holy, to be distinct, pure, and powerful. So last slide here. Uh, who, who will you pray for? All right, who, are you, who will you, and again, I, we're having these every week, so it means if you're here for four weeks in a row, you have four of these. I don't, take as many as you want. Stick them places where you at least might see it. You might walk by it for a fleeting second in your refrigerator, and you're like, oh, God, I'm going to pray for my son, Mark, that you'd make him holy. I mean, just 15 seconds. I'm, again, I'm not into efficient prayers, but I'm into meaningful prayers. And you might stop and think, oh, okay, God, would you teach my daughter Alice in your word? Or would you teach me your word? Would you teach Kathy and I your word so we can be people who follow the word because we trust the Bible because Jesus trusts the Bible? So this is meant to be somewhat of a prayer guide. But again, I, I'm, I'm really big on making prayers kind of doable. This is funny because John 17, most people, most theologians call it the high priestly prayer because Jesus the high priest is praying for us. It is a high priestly prayer, but it almost makes it sound like it's unattainable for us human beings. But we're, we're all priests in the sense of the spirit of Jesus inside of us. This is, an, this is not an inaccessible way to pray. Just because Jesus prayed that way for us, I think it's a model for us because he prayed that intentionally with the disciples all around. And some of them even rewrote in their letters, whether it's Thessalonians or Peter, they wrote about holiness because they, they probably remembered, I remember Jesus prayed for us that we'd be holy. So here's, uh, here's what I'm going to just right now, we're not going to, I want you to th- close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think right now of just a couple of people that you w- would pray for that they'd be holy. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's um, kids. Maybe it's family members. And right now, Jesus is praying for people that follow Jesus. He, he does later pray for those who aren't yet following Jesus because he wants them to follow him. But I want you to think of a few people that right now you want to pray for that God would make them holy, right? And uh, what we're going to do is in a second and a half, you just whisper those names loud enough for you to hear, and then I'll direct us to all say out loud, God, make them holy, all right? That makes sense? So uh, on the count of three, I want you to whisper the names out loud for you, maybe two or three names of people that you want to pray for right now. We're not just practicing, we're praying right now, all right? So uh, the count of three, just whisper those names. One, two, three. We're going to say, God, make them holy, all right? One, two, three. God, make them holy. Now say this. Say, God, make them distinct, pure, and powerful. Ready? God, make them distinct, pure.
pure, and powerful. So Jesus, uh, we, just, we just prayed. Every single person here just prayed for somebody or somebodies that you would make them holy. You would make them distinct, separate from the culture of the world, that you'd make them pure, and specifically sexually pure, but you would also make them filled with the supernatural power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And it almost seems uh, too big for us to pray that way for people, but Jesus, that's how you prayed for us. We're going to follow your example and pray for others that way. And I'm just going to finish with saying too, Jesus, we're grateful that you pray for us that way. This moment you are seated at the right hand of the Father and you pray for John Kensick. You pray for Drew Ragsdale. You pray for Don Wisher. Right now at this moment, and you pray for Matt Newspom, you pray for us that we would be distinct, pure, and powerful by the power of your word that we trust. So Jesus, we want to be that way. We're grateful that you pray for us. Even in times where we, like the disciples, we're going to be confused, fearful, and just full of all kinds of doubt. That's the moment you prayed for them. But you prayed for them knowing that this fear and failure and confusion and doubt was going to turn into joy and peace and power. So even when we fail, when we are fearful, when we have confusion and doubts, you're praying for us. And we love you for that, Jesus, that you're for us, you're not against us, and your desire for us is to be shining like stars in the universe, which Paul says to the Philippians, we want to shine like stars in the universe because that's how you made us to be, to help others see how wonderful and glorious it is, Jesus, to follow you. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Go to the last slide here, and we'll lead this into communion. So this is right after Jesus prayed this in John 17. He says, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by the truth. So being made holy by the truth is only possible because Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice which unleashed the power of the Holy Spirit, tore the veil of the curtain, and created what Scripture calls a new and living way for us to relate to God. You can't make yourself holy by your own effort. You can make yourself holy by the power of the crucified, risen Jesus inside of you who will always change you to the degree that you allow him to.